If you could turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. You guys are going to look, uh, at, start at verse 29, and while you're there, I'm going to be in Colossians chapter 3, and I'm going to read verse 1 through 4, and catch up with you all in a second. And to our visitors, we welcome you in the name of Jesus. We are so glad that you have chosen to worship with us today. And we pray that this time would be fruitful for you. 1 Corinthians, the 7th chapter, starting at verse 29. And again, I'm going to be reading from Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 4. If you could stand... As we read the word of God together, we have been marching through the book of Mark together, but we uh, are taking a break uh, from the book of Mark as we embarked upon a new series on singleness. And the, the title of the series is Living Single, Living Single. So in part one, we looked at the theme. Uh, of seeing singleness not as a gruesome curse, but as a gift from God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7, Paul says that to those who are single, that they have received a gift from God. A lot of times, singleness, those who are single see their state of singleness as a curse, um, instead of a gift. In fact, some who are single, you're, you're looking and saying, well, what's the return policy? Amen. I want to trade my singleness in for marriage. And even those who are married, sometimes we put pressure on those who are single and we do not uh, uh, minister to them in a way that says this state of life right now for you is a, is a gift from God, is a gift from God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17, the apostle Paul uh, tells the church at Corinth, he says, let each of you lead the life that God has assigned to you. So whatever state we're in, if we're married or if we're single, we have to see that a sovereign God, a God who is in complete control, is the one who has orchestrated our state, whether married or single. Amen? So in this series, we're looking at singleness from God's perspective. And we want to see it as a gift from God. But today we also want to see the state of singleness as a call to undivided devotion and delight in God. For those who are single, God has called you during this state of your life to undivided devotion and delight in God. And when I say the word single... Those who are single are those who are not married. Those who are single are those who are not married. So you may be booed up in here today with somebody you've been talking to on and off for seven years. You are single. 
This message is for you, amen? Anyone who is not married and does not have a certificate or a ring, <laughs> and a ring, amen, <laughs> or something to prove it, amen, amen. Not and a ring. You may, you're still married if you have a certificate, amen, and you don't have a ring, amen. Uh, so those who are not married are considered single, and we'll see why in a little bit. First, uh, so Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And the same author, Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 29 says, This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or the betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. Now, in verse 34, he says to the unmarried or the betrothed woman, betrothed meant a woman who was engaged or who was spoken for. So he's saying there as well to the engaged woman is still anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion, your undivided devotion to the Lord. Let us pray. A gracious Father, I thank you for this opportunity to break up and open your word to your people. Uh, please, Father God, give me clarity in speech. Please, Father, allow this time to be anointed with your presence, anointed with your power. Please, Father God, allow me to preach with courage and allow me to represent you, this majestic God, well. And I pray for those who are single. Lord, I pray that they will walk away understanding that they have been given a precious gift from you and that you are calling them to seek your face in order that they would find contentment and not live with constant resentment. I pray, Father God, that your gospel will shine clearly and that it, Father God, would do what you have purposed it to do. Now speak, Father. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening and your sheep know when you are calling. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Living single, fighting for undivided devotion and delight 
in the Lord. Uh, Will Smith starred in a movie that was called Seven Pounds, and he played a character who was named Tim Thomas. And in the beginning of the movie, we see a very powerful scene as Thomas, Tim Thomas, is driving on a mountain, and he's with his fiancée. And they're going around a bend, and all of a sudden, he gets a text message, and he shoots a text message back to the person who sent it. And as he looks up, he is headed for a head-on collision with a minivan. And they end up colliding, and a horrible accident takes place. Seven individuals are killed including his fiancée. You know, there are laws across this land that are being implemented about texting while driving. Not only that, in some states, they are even banning talking on the phone while driving. Tony Evans has a, a great quote and makes a great correlation when he says, that the desire for a marriage partner should not preoccupy you. Singles who are concentrating on marriage are like fools or folks who drive and talk on their cell phones. For people who are preoccupied with marriage are putting themselves in a position of being hurt or even hurting others. You know, that was my testimony for... A long time while I was single, I was distracted while driving. I was preoccupied, not so much with marriage. As a, as a, a college gentleman, I wasn't preoccupied with getting married, right, fellas? Ladies are preoccupied with marriage. They see a guy, a guy talks to them, you know, and my wife told me, even when we first met, the first thing pops in, I wonder if this is the person, if this is the start. Guys, that's not normally how we think, amen? That's a stereotype, but most guys don't think like that off the bat. And that was me. So I wasn't preoccupied with getting married, but I just did not want to be alone. So I, I wanted to feel uh, significant and, and to make sure that I always had someone who I can call and talk to. And what ended up happening is, is I led people on who I had no intention from the beginning of marrying. They ended up being hurt, and I was in a relationship where I ended up being hurt. So God had given me this gift of singleness. And what he had wanted for me while I was single was for me not to preoccupy my time with getting married or being booed up, but rather with learning about him and making him known to others. But for a large part of my singleness, I wasted that gift that God gave me because I did not trust the giver and I resented the gift. I resented being single and alone. What's interesting about Tony Evans' quote is this. He says, People who are preoccupied with marriage, he says they put themselves in a position 
of being hurt or hurting others. Now, notice what he says. He doesn't say people who desire to be married, but rather he says people who preoccupy themselves with with the idea of being married. There is a difference from uh, having an appropriate desire to be married and being preoccupied with the idea of being married. Being preoccupied with the idea of being married is basically seen as a, a person who is looking to marriage, believing that the state of being married is going to bring them ultimate satisfaction and make them complete. It is them constantly looking to improve their identity or even to find worth in another person or a relationship. And as a result of believing that marriage is somehow going to satisfy us, or it is the missing link in our lives, they begin to, they are constantly in a state of looking over their shoulder, wondering if this is the person, or, or trying to make something happen with someone else. You know, I know a number of, of different ladies. In fact, I can think of four women over my life, women that I respect, who were preoccupied with being married. Um, and their preoccupation with being married led them to a very dangerous place. And each of the women I have in mind are, are sisters that I, I admire, um, sisters that I know love the Lord, but sisters who, who really missed an opportunity to enjoy the gift that God had given them. They were so preoccupied with marriage where a, a few of them actually went out and bought their marriage dress, their wedding dress, without being in a relationship with their husband-to-be. Not only did they buy wedding dresses, in one case I know a woman who bought, went and bought her bridegroom's dresses, uh, started buying stuff for the wedding. Now some people will say, well, that's faith. And I'm saying that that's not faith. That's not using your singleness in a way that God intended. It is trying to make something happen and preoccupying yourself with another gift that is good, which is, which is marriage. God does not want you to be preoccupied with it. And he can give you a deep, deep sense of contentment. And he can, he can satisfy you in a way that is appropriate. Even those who are in high school or, or grammar school, Um, I I hate to break it down to you, but the percentage of people who are now married, who met their husband or their wife while they are in high school, is very, very, very small. So the likelihood of you marrying that person that you feel that you're in love with in the seventh or eighth grade is probably not going to happen. And you are not married right now because God wants you to see him, to know him, to explore him, to grow in him, so that if he does call you to be married, you are ready for your spouse, and your spouse is ready for you. See, what ends up happening in a lot of situations is that we want that person, 
And we want to be connected to, that, to, to, to our spouse or to be married. And, and really our heart isn't ready for that. Matthew chapter 6 verse 33 tells us that we ought to seek the things of the kingdom of God first. And everything else will be added. Jesus said that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your mind, and all of your soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. But what Satan has done and what society has has created is is, is lies that say that if we are single, then we we have to be lonely or or, or, or creates fear in our hearts saying that, that, hey, I don't want to be single because if I'm single and I don't get married, then I'm going to die and be alone, or or lies that say uh, a number of different things, that say the reason that you're not married is because you're so picky, or there's something wrong with you. Society tells us that those who are are single are incomplete, and without that other person, you're you're, you're not going to to live a fulfilled life, and that's just not the case. God has you in a state of singleness for his glory. And part of his glory is, is that you would know him, that you would seek his face first. So what happened to me is that for a long time while I was single, I was just trying to fill a void that only God could really fill. And, and rather than just, div- just giving the Lord my undivided devotion and giving him my attention and, and chasing after the Lord, like David says, like a deer who is, who is panting for the water brooks, Instead of panning for the Lord in that way, I was seeking that fulfillment in other people and I wasn't secure with who I was. So I went into relationships instead of being like this, instead of having a strong vertical relationship with the Lord, instead of knowing who I am in God, instead of knowing what he wants from those whom he redeemed, instead of going into relationships secure, I went into my relationships like this. And then I was meeting people who weren't secure in their relationship with the Lord. And I was settling, and they were settling. And what ended up happening is you had two people going into relationships that were crooked and messed up, and everybody in some way is crooked and messed up and broken. But we were really broken because God wasn't the center of our lives. And what happens when you put these two things together? Where do we see stuff with X's on it? If it's poisonous or dangerous. And my relationships with people were poisonous and dangerous because I was not seeking the Lord and cherishing the state of singleness like I should. And when I say state of singleness, I mean state because Some of you are single right now, but you will get married. Being single does not necessarily mean that you are are not going to get married. It may be a state, but for others, God may be calling you to be single for the rest of your life. It's a tough truth for some of you. But God, who calls you to that state, is the God who can keep you in that state. And he can satisfy you in that state. You know, here's a, a testimony from a woman who has the appropriate 
desire of marriage. Um, she said this quote, and I think that this is a great picture of what it means to desire marriage, but not to be preoccupied with marriage. She says that a person who desires marriage is a person who wants to get married and who prays about getting married, but who knows that marriage is not going to satisfy their deepest longing. Marriage is good, but it does not determine one's role. She says, let's face it, singleness is not an inherently inferior state of affairs. She says, but I want to be married, and I pray about it every day. I pray that the Lord would help me to meet someone, and, to, that we, and that we may walk down the aisle in the next couple of years because God is so good to me. But also, I know that I may never have another date because God is so good to me. The appropriate desire of marriage is saying, God is good. Whether he allows me to marry or whether he doesn't. And if this God who does not allow me to get married doesn't allow me to get married, it's because he is calling me to himself and he has promised to, to fill that void in a supernatural way. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is able to do that? Some of you in here today, you, you are, you, you're walking in resentment. You want to be married and you blame God for you not being married or you're blaming everyone else. And it may be a combination of reasons why you're not married. But at the end of the day, you must come to a place where you say, the Lord has assigned me here, and the Lord can definitely keep me here. So what I want to do today is I want to build you up in such a way where when Satan is lying to you and telling you that you're incomplete, that the reason you'll never find someone is because you're picky or because God is mad at you, that you can speak truths into your life and, and, and know who you are in God. Also, when you feel lonely and you're feeling depressed, that you may be able to put on that whole armor of God, that you may be able to put on that helmet of salvation and to speak truths into your life. In Colossians chapter 3, we see the apostle Paul saying this. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above and not the things that are on the earth. And that sounds good. That is our call, like I said, of every Christian to seek God's face first and to make that our primary duty. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ. But how can a person be free? How can a single person be free to concentrate on the Lord and not to worry about their state of not being married? Well, Paul tells us in verse 3, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. It's hidden in Christ in God. The way in which we are going to set our minds on God, on Jesus, in the midst of our singleness and devote ourselves to him with undivided attention and without being distracted, is that we understand that we have been given a new identity, a new identity in God. When I was younger, uh, I was in, I hate to say this, it's almost embarrassing, Brother Dent. I was in high school, 
and me and my older sister got into a little, little play fight or whatever. And we're in the kitchen, and I've got a younger sister that's about four or five years old at the time. And my sister just starts chasing me. I think she had like a pan in her hand. And I, I start sprinting around our house because I learned in the past that she will hit me with it. Right? She wasn't just showing it off. She was, she, if she had it, she was going to use it. So I'm, I'm, start, I'm just running around the house, and she set up a, a little barricade for me. She put some chairs together. And as I'm running and I'm coming back around where I was running, I have to leap over these chairs. So I leap over the chairs, and I slide on a piece of paper. And I slid in backwards into the wall. And I literally sat in the wall. My <laughs> bottom put a hole in the wall. So I'm like partially stuck in the wall. And my younger sister, she yells, and she says, ooh, I'm telling mama. And I'm trying to get out. I'm like, no, no. And my older sister tried to grab her because we try to work on the story. And she runs upstairs. And I get out the wall, and I'm running upstairs trying to counteract what she's saying. And I can't even see her. All I hear is her voice behind my mom. And she's telling mom, play by play, detail by detail. My father comes into the room and said, they did what? And she's telling. And I'm just trying to, you know, undo her story. And uh, my words weren't working. It wasn't working. Why? Because she was hidden. She was behind my mother and my father's protection. No matter what I said, no matter how I threatened her, she was safe. The Bible gives us a picture that says when God saves us, we are hidden in Christ with God. And what that means is that we now have a new identity because we believe in the resurrection of Jesus and we have been raised also ourselves. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says that we are now a new creation. We are new people. The old things have have passed away, and behold, all things become new. So this represents the world, and this represents us being a part of the world. And God saves us. He raises us up with the gospel of Jesus, and he sets us apart for his glory and for his purpose. And he says, you are my child. But he doesn't just set us apart and, and have us out there on our own. He then hides us in the identity of Jesus. We're hidden behind him. We're hidden in Christ. See, the Bible teaches us that God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible teaches that he had dominion and reign over every part of the earth. And then he created man and he put man on the earth. And man was finding their purpose and their identity through him. The Bible says that he was walking in the cool of the day with our first grandparents, our first parents. And the Bible says that he was giving them their identity. He was giving them their purpose. He was giving them their call. But the Bible says that one day they sought their identity outside of God. And they said, rather than finding my identity in God, I want to find my own identity. I want to be my own king. And then they decide to rebel against God's word. 
So now they are spending their their time and their lives searching and looking for their connection that they had, seeking their own identity. Man is born, the Bible says, into sin and shaped by our iniquities. We are born separated from God and we are spending our time trying to fulfill a hole that is in our heart that only God can fulfill. We're trying to find people and places and things to scratch an itch in our heart that only the living God who created us could scratch. So we get into relationships with broken people, people that we know don't love the Lord. And we settle for those relationships because we're looking for identity. We're looking for love. We want to be accepted. All of us do. God created us to be relational beings and we want to be in a relationship. But in order for us to enjoy a relationship the way that God has called us to. And in order for us to live life on God's standards and his ways and not on our own, we have to reconnect with God and reclaim that identity. But the problem is, is our sin separates us from God. But the Bible says that God did something about it. He sent his son, Jesus, who was secure in his identity. And he allowed Jesus to live the life that you and I could not live. He allowed Jesus to to live a sinless and perfect life. And the sinless Jesus ended up dying, though he did no wrong. And he died the death that we deserve to die. He was nailed on a cross. He was humiliated in open day. And the Bible says that while he was dying, there was physical agony. But more than the physical agony, there was spiritual agony. Because on Jesus' shoulders was the sin of every human being who would place their faith and trust in him. Jesus was condemned. And he was separated from his father for a time in order that we might have an opportunity to be reconciled back to God. And the Bible teaches that those who put their faith and trust in Jesus, that we receive a new identity. That when God looks at us, he justifies us, which means he declares us as righteousness. He clothes us in the righteousness of of his son. Jesus' life now and his righteousness now is accounted to me. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 6. Which means that when God looks at me, when God looks at you, dear single person, He does not see your sin and your filth and your failure, but rather he sees the righteousness of his son. And you are completely forgiven by God. And you are completely accepted by God. And you are completely loved by God. In the Gospels, God often talked about Jesus and he would say, this is my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased. When we become a part of God and when he remakes us through his spirit, he looks at you each and every day throughout the day. And he says, this is my beloved child and whom I'm well pleased. If you have repented of your sin and put your faith and trust in Jesus. So what does that have to do with singleness? That has everything to do with your singleness. What you are searching for and what I was searching for was acceptance and love. Was acceptance and love. Bible teaches us that we are accepted and we are loved in spite of ourselves. The person that you're dating, the person that you're spending your time with, the person that you're putting your stock into are broken people. 
And they will accept you and they will love you normally based upon what you do for them. But God, that's the exact opposite of the gospel. God did not save us from the world because of what we could do for him. He saved us from the world because of what Jesus did for us. So we are saved by works, just not our own. We're saved by Jesus' works. What freedom? I don't have to walk around worrying about being loved and accepted. I am fully loved and accepted by the person that matters most. The person that's the ultimate judge of the universe. That's what Paul says. Paul says that in, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the, the latter part, and chapter 4, the first four verses, he's talking to church of Corinth as they were being divisive and divided. He's saying some people are following Apollo, some are following Cephas, and some are following Paul. They were getting in these cliques. And Paul basically said, listen, I am free from being judged by you all. I'm, I'm free from having a responsibility of caring what you think about. And he says, not only am I free from, from carrying around a responsibility of what you think about me, I'm free from carrying around, around a responsibility of what I think about myself. He says, you're not my judge. And guess what? I'm not my own judge. He says, it is the Lord who is my judge. But guess what? If the Lord is your judge and you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, the verdict is not guilty. Not guilty. So what does that have to do with everyday life of a single? That has everything to do with your everyday life as a single. Because now you don't have to feel the pressure and succumb to the pressure that people are putting on you. When your aunt or uncle comes in town and say, you still ain't found nobody? Well, I know a guy named Lil Nuke Nuke. And he don't got a job right now, but he got a cute smile. It's better than nothing. You can say it's not. And I'm not living in a state of having nothing. I am found and I am complete in God. This lie that, that being single means you're incomplete, it's just that it's a lie. Jesus was single and he was complete. Paul was single and he was complete. There are uh, uh, mildreds of, of testimonies of, of single Christians who were complete and single people who were satisfied. So to that college student who is looking for, for love and that high school student is, who is constantly searching for identity and purpose and acceptance, I want to tell you that acceptance comes from accepting the good news of Jesus and accepting his love. Oh, the depth and the width and the length. of the love of God. So, as we're thinking through this, we want to see that we're free to focus on the Lord. In, in Corinthians chapter 1, where the verses that you guys were looking at, Paul understands that the only way that your identity is going to, the only way that singles are going to see themselves as God sees them is if they take on this new identity. And by taking on this new identity, we also now take on a new view of ourselves and our purpose. And a person who takes on this identity and this view of themselves is a person who is now delighting themselves in the Lord. 
Being married is not the most important thing in their life. He says in verse 29, this is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short from now on. Let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of the world is passing away. Now Paul says, listen, let those who have wives live as though they had no wives. What does that mean? Some, some guys in here is like, yes. <laughs> what Paul is doing is, is he, he writes this in the form of a poem, but what he's saying is, is that when you understand who you are in God, and when you understand the mission that you are on, even those who are married, you are not holding on to your wife for ultimate satisfaction. He's saying, let those who have wives live as though they don't have wives. In other words, he's saying, let them not cling on to her as if she is what they need to be complete. Or he is what, he is what she needs to be complete. You are, are free to to explore the Lord and to, to know the Lord and to dive deeper in the Lord because you understand that you're, and you want to do this because you understand that complete satisfaction is going to come from you being intimate with him. And he says, let those who mourn live as though they don't mourn. He's saying those who are going through suffering and hard times, don't live as though you don't have hope. He says you can live with hope because you know you have an eternal hope. And those who rejoice, he says rejoice but live as though you're not rejoicing. In other words, the things that make you happy in this world, don't, don't get so happy uh, and, and, and celebrate in a way that you, like, like you really needed this thing that's making you happy in order to be happy. That's not what's ultimately making you rejoice and what's ultimately making you happy. What's ultimately making you happy is Jesus. So what he's saying is do not treasure the things of this world. Treasure Christ in whatever state you're in. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. God has you in this state of singleness so that you can use this time to find and secure your identity in Christ, to go deeper into the gospel and deeper into biblical doctrine, so that if he calls you out of that state, you're ready for your spouse, and if he has you remain in that state, you're still on mission for the Lord. But, but Pastor Jamal, what you don't understand is, is I'm, I'm lonely and I'm struggling. Well, that's the second part of your identity. Second part of your identity that you want to understand is not only are you justified and declared right before the Lord and made complete by Jesus and hidden in Christ, but God has done something about your loneliness. God has created us to be relational beings. He's created us to be in communion and fellowship with people. And as a single person, you, you, there will be times you're lonely. There is intimacy that you're looking for in a relationship. But God has done something about that. And what he's done about that is he has saved you and made you a part of his church, his ecclesia. That means that there are a bunch of other people who have been redeemed from the world, who have been made new. And he now takes you and he puts you a part of this church and he says, you are now a part of a new family. So some of you are really struggling with your singleness and you're falling into temptation. And you're falling into sin because you're trying to complete uh, 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 fill a void in your heart. You're in, you're in a bad relationship with someone. You know you shouldn't be in a relationship with that person because you're, you're seeking to fulfill that loneliness. And in most circumstances, the reason why you're feeling that lonely, lonely enough 
to not obey God and seek his face is because you have not plugged in into his family. You, you are not taking advantage of the grace and the resources that he has given you in other people. So he has not called you to be alone. He has called you to be a part of the church, and the church has a mission. It has a purpose. And that mission and purpose is not so that we can just be over there and the world can be over here. God has saved you in order that you would know him and in order that your life would inspire other people to investigate the gospel and to surrender their lives to Jesus. So God is using you, like Jude says, to snatch people out of darkness, to transfer them in a, out of a state of darkness into the marvelous light. He has put you in this family in order that we would be on mission, in order that we would be used by God to save people from hell, eternal separation from God. But a lot of times what happens is as singles, we do this. We stay alone. We maybe have one friend in the church or a small group, and we're not finding our identity in Jesus. We're not. We hear a little scripture, we know a little scripture, but we are not seeking the riches that we have in Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1 is amazing. Every single here, I want to encourage you to go home and read Ephesians chapter 1. Over and over, Paul is telling the church that they are in Christ, that in Christ they have every spiritual blessing, that in Christ they have been redeemed, that in Christ they have been lavished with love. So you've got to, to search for your identity and secure your identity in Jesus. So you've got some brothers and sisters here in this church that you need to get to know, that you need to build relationships with. You've got some people who have a lot in common with you. They have in common with you that you were once lost and that they were once lost. They have in common with you that you were saved, not by your own works or your own efforts, but by Jesus. They have in common with you that you believe that Jesus lived, died, and rose again and is coming back for you. Say, well, I don't, you know, I don't know. You know something about them. Let that be where you start. Let that be where you start. Well, you say, well, see, the issue is, is I don't trust family. My family's messed up. And I don't trust people. People have done me dirty. They've done me wrong. I'd rather just come in, get what I got to get, and leave. That's not what the Bible tells us. And you will continue to struggle as a Christian if that is your, your mindset. Not only that, you will probably end up failing at the mission that God has called you because he has created you to be in community. And this new family that he's called you to is a different family. It is a family that is being kept and sustained by the very power of God. Romans chapter 5 verse 5 says that the Holy Spirit has been poured into our hearts and with it comes the gift of, of true, intense love. Ephesians chapter 4 shows us why this family is different and how this family is coming together. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, 
eager to maintain unity and peace in, in, the, in the bond of peace. So this family that you've called to, if you're truly a part of a Bible-believing church, is a family that is committed to finding their identity in Christ and loving Jesus. And as they are committed to finding their identity in Christ and loving Jesus, they are becoming more and more committed to loving each other the way that Jesus will love each other. Single mom, you do not have to be alone. You do not have to struggle alone. You have a new family. Look at all these babysitters you have. Your thirst to be married so that you cannot be alone and so that your kids can grow up with a, a, a great male figure. If God chooses for you to stay in a state of marriage, it can be fulfilled because God has given you all these brothers. Men, stand up. All these brothers who, as you are building relationships with them and, and with their wives, can, can come along and take their kid like we're doing next week on Saturday as the older men are taking the younger men out to have a good time. He's able to see a, a, a real man. And these men are taking interest in those kids. They say it takes a, a, a village to raise a child. Well, it takes a, a church to raise a child that's going to fear the Lord. So if you are alone, you don't have to be alone. And if you are struggling to find intimacy with the Lord because you're scheduled and because of your kids and you don't have someone to help you out, I'm saying get to know people. Come and see me. I know some people who would be glad to babysit your children, who are trustworthy, who love the Lord, who are going to come alongside you and partner with what you are doing for your children and pointing them to Jesus. You know, we're working, going, uh, working it out here where parents can have a time where they can just drop their kids off and we'll have people here to, to keep the kids regularly and to babysit the children so that those who are married can have time together, but also those who are, are single. You can have time to yourself or time with friends and, and time with the Lord. Singleness is not a curse. It is a gift from God. You have been given a new identity by God. You are a new creature, a new creation. You have been given a new mission. Paul is actually trying to convince the church at Corinth and those who are single and betrothed, those who are engaged, he's like, he's trying to convince them to not get married because he understands that the time is short and he understands the mission that the church is on. And those who are single, he's trying to point to them and say, take care of this time of singleness because you have some advantages that other people don't have. In verse 32, he says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about the worldly things, how to please his wife. He's saying those who are married, they are anxious and their attention is divided because they have a spouse to take care of. And they're constantly anxious about how to take care of their spouse. I love my wife, and, and some days I know when I come home and the kids are taking a nap, and if I come home early, even though she does not express it, I'm thinking in my mind, I just messed up her, Jesus, and her time. I just messed that up, didn't I? Because now she's going to take interest to see if I'm hungry, to see what needs to happen next, and there's an anxiety there. I want to be with the Lord. I want to read this book. I, I, I want to dive into the scripture, but I know 
that I need to spend this time. And vice versa. But look what Paul says, verse 34. And his interests are divided, and the unmarried or the betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. That's what the Lord wants for you, undivided devotion. In the movie Seven Pounds After, uh, Tim Thomas, Will Smith's character, after he kills seven individuals, uh, he spends the, the rest of his time, the rest of his life, trying to redeem the wrong that he did. So he's taking his organs and he's researching and trying to find seven people who he thinks is worthy to receive his organs in order to redeem the wrong that he's done. Some of you are in broken relationships today. Some of you know that you're really wasting your singleness. And you're tempted to leave this place and to say, I need to do this, I need to do that, I need to do this, I need to, I need to make things right. And what I, want to hear, I want, what I want you to hear today is this. The way you make things right is not by you trying to fix things in your own strength, not by you getting down on yourself and depressed and looking inward and saying, look what I'm not, but it's by you looking to Jesus and looking at what he has ma- who he has made you. And it's by you running to Jesus and clinging to him. Psalm 37 to 4 says, delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's what God is calling you to do, to delight in his son, to delight in the one who cared enough about you to die for you, to to delight in the one who gives you grace every day, to delight in the one who has allowed you to be in relationship with God, to have forgiveness, and to hear every day, this is my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased. And he says, I'll give you the desires of your heart. Now, we can look at that and say he's going to give us whatever we want, but we know that's not true. What he's saying is he's going to give you the desire that you need to have in order to be content. I'll give you that desire. May God use your life to redeem people from the world, to snatch people away from society lies and Satan's desires for you. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Gracious Father, I pray for those who are single today that this word, that they will be able to go home with it, and that these will become truths that they will never, never put away. Help that person who is looking for a purpose, who is looking for love, who is searching for their identity to be secure in who you've made them to be. Help them to have an appropriate desire for marriage if they desire to be married that says, God is good, and he's sovereign. He can give me who he wants me to have without me forcing something or trying to make it. But even if he doesn't, God is good, and he is sovereign. And he can complete me in such a way that I'm content. In Jesus' name, amen.